0: Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio, your climate change podcast. In this show, we highlight people's stories, we celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. I'm your host, Peter Santoscano. Welcome to episode 84 of Citizens Climate Radio, a project of Citizens Climate Education. This episode is airing on Friday, May 26th, 2023. In today's show, Lila Powell shares a good news story about the roles religious institutions are taking globally to address pollution, which leads to climate change. Tamara Staten is back with us to talk about resiliency. She begins a new series called Climateering Through Unexpected Climate Connections. And Ruth Abraham will share with us how a classic Christian hymn and a Bible verse helped to ground her climate work. But first I chat with Kyle Maillard-Scott. He's the Vice President of the Evangelical Environmental Network. Kyle holds an undergraduate degree in religious studies from Calvin University and a Master of Divinity degree from Western Theological Seminary. He's an ordained minister in the Christian Reformed Church in North America. I first met Kyle when he was the national organizer and spokesman for Young Evangelicals for Climate Action. He appeared with Karina Newsom in our most downloaded episode, What Does the Bible Say About Climate Change? Earlier this year, InterVarsity Press published Kyle's book, Following Jesus in a Warming World, A Christian Call to Climate Action. In our most recent conversation, you will hear us talking a lot about the Bible and how it convicts us to do good works for people and our earthly home. When you meet somebody and they ask so what do you do what's your go-to answer these days
1: yeah i i wear a few different hats but i think my favorite go-to answer is a pastor who works to help the church recover its calling and responsibility to care for god's creation i I have a almost five-year-old he'll be five in a couple weeks and a 14-month-old they keep us very, very busy. I say us because another important part of my identity is I'm a husband. I've been married to my wife for almost 10 years.
0: There are some identities that some Christians think might disqualify someone from being an actual Christian for instance. Yeah. For some, you know, being a liberal, you can't be a liberal and a Christian. Or others sure. say you can't be an ultra-conservative and be a Christian. And a, a lot of evangelicals might think, you you can't really be a Christian if you're an environmentalist or mm. if you're concerned about climate change. So my question is, are you a real Christian and why? How is that possible? It's <laughs> a
1: great question. Yeah. So one of the things that, that I like to do sometimes if I'm giving a presentation at a church or, or to a, a group of Christians is I like to ask them, what do you call somebody who cares about the environment? It's an opportunity for people to kind of name what you just named. So you get answers like tree hugger, uh, environmentalist, liberal, and it's great. We kinda, we're kind of laughing. We're rolling. And then I, I say, great answers. What about disciple? at the evangelical environmental network where i'm the vice president a lot of what i try to do in that work is let people name those perceptions that a lot of them have and then trouble it and say okay great those are all fine answers but can we call somebody who cares about the environment or god's creation can we call them a disciple Is it possible that a fundamental part of what it means to follow Jesus is actually to care about the works of his hands and to recognize the ways in which environmental harm and degradation and pollution and climate change, all of the things that are degrading God's good creation, not only harm non-human creatures, but also humans? And is it possible that this call that Jesus puts on all of us to love God and to love our neighbor is inseparable from how we treat the rest of creation? Because we're going to love God who created all things and stepped back and called it good over and over again, and who still loves and cares for it and provides for it. We have to care for the works of his hands and do what he said in Genesis, which is to serve and protect it. And if we're going to love our neighbors, we have to grapple with the realities that are harming our neighbors around the world and down the street. Things like stronger storms, more prolonged protracted droughts, wildfires, pollution from industry and setting fossil fuels on fire. All of these things, in my mind, are inextricably wrapped up with what it means to try to Follow Jesus well and put into practice what he said was most important, which was to love God and to love our neighbor. We, as the Evangelical Environmental Network, as Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, we don't do this work. And I certainly don't do this work because I consider myself a quote unquote environmentalist. And I don't do this work because I'm a Democrat or a Republican. I do this because I'm a Christian. Jesus is the reason that I do the climate work that I do. I'm just trying to get better at following him because that's the most important thing in my life. Likewise, my faith has been enriched and deepened immensely by my climate work and and my climate action. The the task of evangelizing the good news of Jesus and the good news of the kingdom of God has to be enfleshed. It, It has to be concrete. It has to be active. It has to be a verb. And it it can't just be praying with somebody, the sinner's prayer, and then saying, congratulations, you said the magic words, now you're in the kingdom of heaven. It has to be deeper than that. It, it has to connect to people's real lives, because that's what Jesus did. He was impatient for the kingdom of God to break in right here, right now.
0: Mm-hmm. I love that. Impatient for the kingdom of God. That's awesome. When I first became a Christian at a little Bible church in a little town in Pennsylvania, everyone kept asking everyone, what's your life verse? And at first uh-huh. I had no idea what they were talking about. Like what what do you mean <laughs> like your life verse? Like one to guide you through your life. And mine has changed through the years depending on where I'm at, but I definitely have a climate life verse. Mm-hmm. What I love about the Bible is it can apply to lots of things, and that can be done inappropriately, and it can be done very <laughs> movingly. And so for me, yeah. my climate life verse these days is Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service, and be not fashioned according to this world,
1: mm. but
0: be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that she may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God."
1: Mm.
0: The part that really jumps out at me is to not be fashioned according to this world. Mm. I find that life has gotten more and more detached from nature. And we noticed this particularly during the pandemic when we were able to reconnect with nature in so many ways. You know, in the world, it's like we're being told that, you know, we're apart from nature, that we can go into nature. And really what I'm hearing as I'm sitting and listening is that I am nature. And yes. and I have to be transformed by renewing my mind to see that I'm not outside of this ecosystem. I am reliant upon it.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that, Peterson. Thanks for sharing that.
0: Any life versus or climate life versus you'd like
1: to share? One of my favorite climate verses is from Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, Christ, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him, all things hold together." I love so many things about that passage, but one of the things I love most is this repetition of all things, all things, all things, all things. Mm. Um, it's over and over in that passage, and I, I think it's it's Paul trying to get our attention, and and trying to undo that anthropocentrism that I just talked about. It, it's not that you know Christ created humans only, and and in Him humans hold together no all things that christ is concerned about all things that everything was made for him not for us and for our personal use and this idea that he's reconciling all things to himself Mm -hmm. not just human hearts and human souls which tends to so often be the focus of of our gospel but everything somehow all of heaven and earth is bound up in god's saving sites the whole ball of wax when it comes to God's rescue mission was about turning the invisible visible right you think about mm, the Incarnation it was yes. taking the invisible God and making him visible <laughs> right. like God, God is all about making himself visible to his people, whether it's through Christ and in the Incarnation, whether it's in the bread and the wine of communion, mm, whether it's right. in the waters of baptism or the the pillar of cloud and fire that led, the Israelites out of bondage into freedom, whether it's the temple or the tabernacle, like God, God is an invisible God, but he's all about making himself visible and coming close to his people.
0: You echo so much of what Reverend Tony Campolo said when I interviewed him for uh, an episode here on Citizens Climate Radio. He wrote a book back in 1992, How to Rescue the Earth Without Worshipping Nature, A Christian Mm. Call to Save Creation. And boy, he's so fiery about this and so fiery about our responsibility as believers that it is a call. You wrote the book, Following Jesus in a Warming World, A Christian Call to Climate Action.
1: It's part memoir. It's part Theological Biblical Studies, and and it's part field guide. I especially wrote it for Millennials and Gen Z Christians, because a lot of it was born out of conversations that I had when I was at Young Evangelicals for Climate Action, traveling the country, talking to young Christians. I especially wanted that audience to feel seen, to feel validated, to be told, no, you're not crazy. Yes, this is central to our call to follow Jesus and to give them tools for how to do it. I wanted to read from my epilogue. This was me trying to offer a hopeful vision to close the book about what I think it might look like for the church to wake up again to its calling, to care for God's creation, to lead the way, I structured the epilogue as a, a letter to my imagined grandchild on her high school graduation day. So It's dated May 22, 2066. On the day you were born, I spent a lot of time ruminating on your future, an old habit. I guess I picked it up around the time your dad was born. Back then, the fierce storms and punishing heat that have been taken for granted during your life were just beginning to break through into our reality. For much of my life to that point, they had been mostly abstractions, dangerous offspring of our inaction that would one day grow up and move out of the house to wreak their havoc on the earth, but innocuous enough as they merely gestated in the womb of our collective ignorance and denial. By the time your dad was born in 2018, though, the consequences of our procrastination were becoming harder and harder to ignore. There were some our age, even then, who were choosing not to have kids, deciding that the future was too dangerous, too unpredictable to be able to morally justify yoking a human life to it for decades to come without that human's prior and informed consent. A sentiment your grandma and I could certainly understand, though never quite embrace. I guess our hope in God's good plans for the world has always been more stubborn than our fear of our ability to derail them. That doesn't mean the fear hasn't been there, ever mingling with the hope. On the day your father came into the world, that alloy of hope and fear was forged and lodged deep in my heart for good. There's a paradox to loving other mortals that even as your heart remains fixed in your chest, its twin beats inside someone else's. You watch your own heart's mirror as it jumps and laughs and aches. It's a phenomenon that repeats itself whenever we make the dangerous, awesome choice to love. All these years, as my own fearful heart has pumped dutifully inside my aging chest, it has replicated itself. As first your dad and his siblings were born, and then again, when you and your siblings and cousins all entered this precious, precarious place, all of my dear ones.
0: Wow. You do something so important in writing this letter. And i it's something that I, I think is very helpful for all of us to do who do climate work. And that is to imagine a future where there's success yeah yep. it would be so easy to write a letter of apology mm. <laughs> for all the mm-hmm. ways we didn't do it <laughs> but it takes a lot of creativity and determination to imagine a world where solutions change things yeah and i believe this is something unique that believers bring to the climate movement. We believe in forgiveness and redemption, new life and miracles. We believe that hearts and minds can change and we have experience of it. And the gift that we can bring this movement is hope. Uh, And and hope grounded in reality, of course, but hope that, that sustains us because we do believe in impossible things.
1: I mean that there is in there a note of apology because we have failed, right? Mm-hmm. We should apologize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> we have things we have things to apologize for, but we don't have to live there. The biblical structure of hope is instructive there. And I like what you said about hope grounded in reality. I've studied scripture in seminary and and that's that's kind of my training and my background. And especially in the Psalms, when you look at the formula of hope for the, the ancient Hebrew people, it was always lament moving into hope but you could never mm-hmm. get to hope without lament you mm-hmm. had to go through lament first we can't stay in lament but there has to be a role for lament with a movement toward hope if hope is going to be authentic and and biblical and meaningful anything
0: else you want to add about your book about young evangelicals for climate action about climate change and faith
1: i think we covered it yeah this is this is a great great conversation thank you
0: i feel like i was at church like a good church
1: (laughs) (laughs) a good good church not just church church
0: just church a good one Kyle mayard Scott, author of Following Jesus in a Warming World, a Christian call to climate action. It's published by InterVarsity Press and is available wherever you get books. You can learn more about Kyle and the book over at his website, kylebairdscott.com. I'll have links in the show notes for you. Visit cclusa.org/radio and look for episode 84. As part of this conversation about faith, climate, and the Bible, I asked Citizens Climate Radio team member Ruth Abraham to reflect on a Bible passage that motivates her to care for creation.
2: When Peterson presented the idea of a climate life verse, I thought I'd first pitch my favorite Christmas song, Joy to the World. It's by Isaac Watts, and first released in 1719, it's a classic. If you're not familiar with it, the first verse goes like this. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And heaven and nature sing and heaven and nature sing, say it with me now, and heaven and heaven and nature sing. The song continues with imagery of white fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains joining together in harmonious praise to their creator, but the resonating line for me is, Prepare him room. The line is from Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And I quote, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. End quote. The first time around, Jesus entered the earth with very humble beginnings. Many nativity scenes depict the manger where baby Jesus was born, surrounded by donkeys and horses and hay, the opposite of the ideal place to keep a newborn, especially one of royal descent. Now as many Christian believers, including myself, await his second coming, We have a second chance to spruce up the place a bit. And I'll take note from the best host I know, my mother. She makes sure our home is immaculate for any guest's first time into our home. Every forgotten corner gets dusted. All our fun table decor gets taken out from hiding and are set as centerpieces. And after we're done mopping the floor, It's shining like the top of the Chrysler Building Tidy. This ritual is done so that we can create the most inviting atmosphere. And that got me thinking on how to best prepare Him room for a second visit. Someone I acknowledge as the King of Kings is coming back to visit the planet he left over 2,000 years ago. How much effort should I put into cleaning the land and the water and caring for those creatures? Who's already doing that work? And how can I contribute to the effort? As for me, I would start off with prioritizing renewable energy and reforestation so we could guarantee clean air and preserve lungs and lives while we're at it. This is kingdom building for me and how I approach both my faith and my professional purpose in life.
0: Thank you so much, Ruth. Now it's time for the Resilience Corner with Tamara Staten, CCL's Education and Resilience Coordinator.
3: Hi, I'm Tamara Staten, and this is the Resilience Corner. I'm excited to dive into our new series called Resilient Climateering Through Unexpected Climate Connections. This isn't a series about weather or science or graphs or data though I might reference a few of those from time to time. Instead, this is a series about things that help us worry less and act more on climate, experienced through a lens of playful curiosity. Together, we'll explore practical ideas for thriving in the face of climate change so that we can be as effective as possible for as long as possible. Let's start with the concept of climateeering. When I was a kid, I distinctly recall watching a super hokey TV show called The Mouseketeers hosted by Annette Funicello. A bunch of kids ran around and then sat in a circle, proudly donning Mickey Mouse ears. From what I've heard, Miley Cyrus and Ariana Grande are more recent Mouseketeer representatives. But when you combine climate change, a very serious topic for most of us, with the very lighthearted concept of a Mouseketeer, you get a Climateer. Someone deeply concerned about climate change, who infuses a playful spirit into their climate perspective and approach. A climateer does their best to enjoy the process of doing what matters so deeply. During a workout, one of my coaches said that just because we take the work seriously doesn't mean we have to take ourselves seriously. In other words, just because something is serious doesn't mean it has to be heavy. Climateering is one way to not only stay present to the purpose in the climate work that we do, but to truly enjoy the process as well. And in regards to resilience, I see personal resilience as our ability to stay strong and steady in the face of climate change. What does that look like? Or more importantly, what might that sound like? A resilient mind says, I got this. This is hard, but worth it. I'm not sure how I'm going to do this. Ooh, this feels like way too much right now, but I'll figure out a way. Resilience isn't a matter of consistently streaming Pollyanna thoughts. Instead, it's about recognizing a challenge and moving through it so that we're a little bit stronger on the other side. This strength adds up and can help us overcome the next challenge. In upcoming episodes, I'm going to stretch my imagination by creating relationships where none seem to exist. Are you up for honing your playful spirit as a climateer? Play along and try to guess in advance where I might be going with each of these connections and bonus points if you'd like to share your guesses with the rest of us. Email us at radio at citizensclimate.org or share on our Twitter account at citizenscradio. Next month, I'll dive into our first set of unexpected climate connections, joy and climate. Two concepts that we usually don't pair together, but actually have quite a powerful relationship. I'm Tamara Staten with The Resilience Corner. Thank you for listening and for your commitment to progress. To learn more about tools, trainings, and resources for staying strong through the climate challenge, check out our resilience hub at cclusa.org forward slash resilience from there you can also access and share resilience corner videos with friends and family who might be interested and until next month consider this find your passion let it guide you and you'll do amazing things for our world
0: thank you so much tamara it's great to have you back
4: I'm Laila Powell, here with a good news story. In November 2022, Egypt hosted the 27th COP. Now, I wasn't sure what COP was either, so don't worry. COP is short for the Conference of the Parties. It's an international climate meeting held yearly by the United Nations. Representatives from countries worldwide gathered to discuss and negotiate action on global climate change. There were a ton of religious institutions present to lend their support at COP27. This includes representatives of Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, Judaism, and Sikhism. Over 40 events, workshops, and panels were hosted by these faith institutions. The Multi-Faith Alliance for Climate Action was actually launched at COP27. This is a global initiative aimed to create a bridge between different faith organizations. Their hope is to work together and explore specific areas for climate action. But you should know, COP27 wasn't the start of religious institutions taking action against climate change. Over the years, more and more religious institutions have turned to finance to take a stand against climate change. In fact, over the past six years, hundreds of Catholic institutions have committed to divesting from fossil fuels, which is in line with the Church's teachings to care for our common home. Additionally. 35 faith institutions from six countries made a significant announcement. Together, they possess over $1 billion in assets, and they have all declared that they are divesting from fossil fuel companies. I think Archbishop Eamon Martin from Northern Ireland explains their decision perfectly. He says, quote, we all share responsibility for the problems facing our world, but equally we share responsibility for finding the solutions.
0: If you have a good news story you want to share on the show, email me, radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Thank you so much for joining me for episode 84 of Citizens Climate Radio. Citizens Climate Radio is written and produced by me, Peterson Toscano. Other technical support from Ricky Bradley and Brett Cease. And I get a lot of help from Ruth Abraham and Lila Powell. They help with the social media and transcripts and blogs and editing so much. Thank you, Ruth and Lila. Social media assistance from Flannery Winchester and from Saida Nakfi. Moral support from Madeline Perra. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens
4: Climate Education.